If you love what you hear, check out our authors Andrea Stewart and N.A. Fulton on Amazon.com, and be sure to subscribe to our Dark Romance Novels and Stories podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast provider. Learn more about us at audioiron.com. Chapter 16. I have seen the most beautiful woman today, said Senior Lucas. Using a long serving fork, he reached for yet another slice of the roast beef while shaking his head in disbelief. Above him, tropical winds stirred the trees and brightly colored butterflies wandered from plant to plant. He did not know they still made women so spirited. Dribbling juice from the meat upon a slice of bread on his plate, he glanced at his host as if wondering why he was not eating more of the banquet he had laid out for his guest. Andre smiled and raised the small cup of strong coffee he was sipping. He was content to watch his guest eat while he studied the sack of coins at the man's elbow. It was ridiculous for the alcalde to demand the return of all his money while still insisting Andre deliver the slaves he had just purchased. On the other hand it was foolishness to decline any remotely reasonable request from a man who purchased hundreds of slaves every year. She had hair the color of night like the natives. Butchered so it felt to her neck like a boy. Butter skin was sofer. Anerais. Greenas emeralds, said Senor Lucas, placing a fork full of meat into his mouth. Aner figure? Perfecto. And he kissed his fingers to indicate his satisfaction. What a wonder, Andre said to indicate his approval. Entertaining his buyers was rarely a pleasure. For the most part he found colonial farmers ill-mannered and loud. But Lucas was the third son of a Spanish lord. In his youth, with the limited funds his station in life had afforded him, he had come to the New World to carve a large sugar plantation out of the wilderness discovered by Cortes. Now the man represented the Spanish government in his region and churned out sugar, rum, and tobacco at levels exceeded by no one else on the globe. In this part of the world he was aristocracy. So, he purchased And here he took a sip of the sweet red wine. François told me will accept no other bidders. But he must collect another thousand and deliver it to him by morning. Then the young lady will be mine. A thousand? Andre asked. His interest was real this time. No woman was worth a thousand doubloons. You could buy a ship and all the men aboard for less. Say cost me five thousand. Can you imagine? But you will marry her and sire many fine sons upon her. A proud family requires a beautiful wife. Suddenly Andre understood. It was impossible to find European women who would willingly exile themselves to the Spanish colonies. What woman of breeding would trade civilization for terrible accommodation and extraordinary isolation? Luxuries would be limited only to what could be purchased in pirate ports or ordered years in advance. No access to family or friends even in dire emergency. A woman of quality, of breeding, would have valued to such a man as the alcalde. She would be the most desirable of acquisitions. A pleasure in the bed, a producer of airs, a trophy to show off to others. What a wonderful prize. That says. Well, he must go. He pushed his plate away and stood up. 
I have only until tomorrow. If I do not pay Francois else me my goddess will belong to another. Andre found that impossible to believe, but made no comment. He rose and followed his guest through the garden to a thick wooden gate that led directly to the street. Perhaps you may allow me to meet her. No, no. Laughed Senor Lucas, eyes sparkling as he climbed into his waiting carriage. You are the kind of man who takes what he desires. Andre watched the alcalde's red and silver conveyance rattle away. He considered the girl's description. Midnight hair, cut short, fair skin, green eyes. Could this girl be the dirty waif who had escaped via his treetop so many weeks ago? He felt it must be the case. After a moment's thought he ambled back through the garden, into his study, and set about drafting a note. He summoned a servant to deliver it to Captain Black, hoping that the effort would go some way to mending the breach between them. Though the buccaneer could not afford to buy the girl, and Francois Dujols lived in a fortress with that quite formidable bodyguard he had raised from childhood, there was no hope the pirate could recover the girl. Still André hoped his effort in discovering her whereabouts would be honoured. Black examined the house from the gravel drive. Since he did not traffic in slaves, he had been unaware of the kind of fortress such blood money could buy in Port Royal. But Corwin was in there, he could feel it, and he meant to have her. Now all he had to do was extract her and himself alive from the mess she had got herself into. Five thousand pounds. It had never entered his mind to buy the girl, but staring at the miniature fortress she was in made him give the idea some thought. If he sold his ship he might raise half so much. Perhaps he could borrow the rest from Andre, but he had no idea what he could offer in return, particularly if he had no ship. In any case, negotiations would take time and Lucas would collect the girl in the morning, black wrapped on the floor of the carriage with his cane, letting the driver know he was ready to step out. Dressed in black breeches, black waistcoat, snow-white shirt, and a black greatcoat embroidered with silver thread, he felt ridiculous in the tropical heat. But he could not approach this little dictator as a pauper. He must appear to be a rich man, a beautiful young woman of indeterminate origin admitted Devon Black to the house. Was she native to these lands? A woman from Africa? Or had she been stolen from much farther away? With graceful gestures she led him across a wide marble floor to a well-appointed study that opened onto a walled garden. Captain Black, said Dujols rising from an elaborately crafted French desk. My friend Andre tells me you wish to buy a woman to grace your bed. I have many such in my pens near the sea. Tell me what you seek. I fear that has been some mistake. You have a woman here. Black hair cut short, green eyes. I am not here to purchase her. I am here to recover stolen property, said Devon, keeping his manner firm but light. A man who took possession of a wandering horse or cow did not become its owner. Common courtesy dictated their return. So it was with a wayward slave. You are mistaken. I purchased this woman several months past from an auction in the Carolinas. I am sorry you have traveled so far for no benefit, said Dujols seating himself behind his desk while offering Black a seat. Bring her in and we will establish her ownership easily enough. She will not have forgotten me. Ownership has been established, said Dujols. Senior Lucas owns her. I trust you understand he will not surrender what he has already purchased. He gestured toward the door. I think it is best if you depart. Captain, if you leave your details I will contact you when another such woman finds their way into my hands. I encounter a few such every year. Black shook his head, feeling his rage mount. Enough. Where is the girl? Devon? Is that you? Black looked over his shoulder to see Corwin and behind her the largest man he had ever seen. 
Under normal circumstances he would have paid more attention to the monster he might have to kill in a few minutes, but his astonishment at seeing Corwin alive left him incapable of seeing anything else. How much he had missed her, she was so pale and her deep green gown hung on her frame as if she were made of sticks. Her eyes were sunken and staring as if she had seen unspeakable things. Her lips, once the color of cherries, were almost as white as her skin. He rose. Could this possibly be your mysterious pirate, my lady? He seems to have come searching for you at last. How sad that he has come too late. Devon turned to tell Dujols that he would have the girl even if it cost Dujols his life, only to discover the man had a pistol pointing at his chest. Dujols looked past Black to glare at Corwin. Will you tell me again that your captor never touched you? That you are a maid still? He turned to Black. I am surprised you did not beat a civil tongue into her head. She has required much discipline. I will buy her. Name your price. Senior Lucas has paid five thousand. Can you pay ten? Do you have the money here with you? Of course not. But I can have it here by morning. Ah, sadly had you come yesterday she would be yours. But she belongs to the Elkaldi already. Now our business is concluded, I must ask you to leave. Dujols used his pistol to gesture toward the door through which Black had entered the room. Black shrugged. If you will not hear reason, I will save my gold for the Alcaldi. He will enjoy doubling his money in a matter of hours. And, of course, I will find a way to repay your unkindness in the months ahead. And my men have freed thousands of slaves. I will make it my practice to ensure you cannot trade in human souls any longer. Then, without sparing Corwin a glance, Devon strode past her. He felt the giant bodyguard fall into step behind him as he crossed the foyer and exited the house, past a pair of looming footmen, to his waiting carriage. There Black paused as if reconsidering his decision to depart. Adam stepped around him, jerked the carriage door open, and gestured inside. When Black did not move, the giant grabbed him by the arm and shoved him toward the carriage. As he was shoved inside, Black spoke so softly that only Adam could hear what he said. Let me back through the gate and into the house after dark and you shall have your freedom. I swear it. Help me and I will carry you anywhere in the world. I and my men will liberate everyone in that house and all those he owns. Adam, as if he heard nothing, closed the door and stepped away from the coach. With no other idea of how to proceed, Devon rapped sharply on the carriage roof with his cane and allowed himself to be driven out through the tall iron gate and the high stone walls. But as soon as his carriage rounded the first corner, he opened the door and jumped out. He watched as the coach ran without him, then began walking back to Dujol's compound. He had already ordered Andre to send word to his ship. Aubrey had instructions to make ready to leave Port Royal. And he had all the details on Corwin's location so he could rescue her if Black failed. God willing when Devon had the girl back in his arms they would be able to sail without delay. Corwin stared at the floor woodenly. Seeing Devon, hearing him say her name, had all but stopped her heart. But of course he had left her here. Of course he hadn't purchased her. He hadn't fought for her. He had left her to pay the price for what he had wrought. Look at me. Dujols ordered as he approached her. He still held the loaded pistol and his face was white with rage. You lied to me for all these months. You are not a virgin as Lucas will learn. You are no better than a hundred girls I could have sold him. He will be very angry and I shall pay the price. It took all of Corwin's will not to shrink from Dujols, now standing before her. He placed the barrel of the pistol against the center of her forehead. He studied her. I much desire to shoot you where you stand. You have wasted so many months of my time, so much of my money, and I regret not using you as the prostitute you saw clearly are. 
I should have got the tongue from your mouth before I listen to your lies. Now your lover threatens me. Now I must tell the truth to the Alcaldi. The gun at her head seemed to be a living thing. A viper ready to strike. Corwin found herself looking up at him. Would he really kill her in cold blood? Of course he would. If there was no profit in keeping her alive. But if you kill me my lord you will have nothing. Surely the Alcaldi will find some use for me, if not a bride then perhaps something less, she managed to say. Dujols backhanded her so hard with the hand holding the weapon that she dropped to the floor. Dujols, in a rage, kicked her several times in the chest and belly as she curled into a ball to try to protect herself. He pointed the gun at the side of her head for a long time, and she closed her eyes waiting to die. Then, he was gone, demanding his cloak and his coach. Corwin, shaking, managed to get to her feet. She worked her way through the office by moving from chair to desk to door. Finally she reached the wall garden where Dujols sometimes allowed her to sit in the afternoon. She could feel something was terribly wrong inside her, but at least she wasn't dead. Somehow something she had said had stopped him. Corwin? Devon studied the slumped back. It was dark in the garden, all but pitch black. The girl was all silver edges in the moonlight. Devon had, to his surprise, found the gate to Dujol's enclosure open when he had tried it after dark. This saved him trying to find a way over the thirty-foot walls that surrounded the compound. He had slipped through the gate then, explored the exterior of the house, and eventually found a clay drain pipe that ran up the side of the house. He had scaled it, climbed onto the roof, then moved over the brittle red tile to look down into the garden. There he had seen Corwin sitting on a little bench as if she had fallen asleep in the late afternoon sun. He had leapt from the roof to a tree as an expedient approach to getting to the ground. While the branches had not caught him as he had hoped, they had worked to break his fall. He came round the bench to crouch in front of her. We need to get out of here. Corwin didn't stir. Black raised her chin so he could see her face in the silver light. Dried blood caked her nose and her face was swollen and distorted by bruises. The movement had conjured her to wakefulness. He could see her struggling to open her eyes. Eventually she licked her dry lips and spoke. Go. He will kill you. He could see it hurt her to speak. Black looked around and realized that he had no hope of getting her out over the wall. It had to be through the front door. Get out, she said. Black stepped forward and picked her up, ignoring her attempts to stop him and her cries of pain. When she gasped a demand to be put down, he said. Continue if you want us both to die. I will not leave here without you, he whispered. He strode through the house toward the front door. The woman who had opened the door for him earlier in the day appeared from the shadows. She moved swiftly to the door, attempting to block it, and Devon said, Madame, move away if you don't want to die. Please, don't. They can't help us. He will kill them. Black could not have cared less. Young woman, if you do not move away from the door I will kill you. The woman, uncertain, looked at Corwin and then she did step away, pulling the door open. Devon Black stepped outside, walked down the marble steps, and strode across the gravel toward the gate he had passed through just an hour ago. Behind him the girl who had opened the door darted out, ran down the steps past him. She slipped out the gate and disappeared down the road outside. She was followed by a pair of men in Dujoli's elaborate livery who also seized the opportunity to escape. There followed an exodus of servants running from the house then but with Corwin in his arms, gasping at every step. Devon had to move more slowly. Just as he stepped onto the street he saw Dujol's coach turn the corner, its carriage lantern swinging. Black saw Adam drop off his perch on the back of the coach as it rolled to a stop before him.
Dujols stepped out followed by senior Lucas. Dujols, still armed, regarded Devon Black and Corwin with shock, feeling the familiar lust to kill flow through his veins. Devon stepped back to lay the now unconscious Corwin on the ground, her back against the cold wrought iron. He noted that her breathing was labored and she seemed more pale by the second, and he tried to remember the last time he had saved a seaman from a broken rib that had wormed its way into a lung. Conscious that time was of the essence, Devon stood up, looked at the Alcaldi and gestured at the girl. Have a look. She's damaged goods. He's beaten her all but to death and she has not been a maid for many months. Senior Lucas sighed Dujols and moved toward Corwin. Using his walking stick he raised her battered face to the moonlight. It was you who beat the girl. She was my woman. He stole her. I have searched for her for many months. Lucas looked back and forth between the two men then shook his head. How disappointing to find she is no better than any of the others. He would have made her my queen. He said. Devon turned to look at Dujols, eyeing the pistol he held in his hand then raising his eyes to the man's face. Kill me now and you get nothing for the girl. Devon said as he moved forward. I am sure she has cost you a pretty penny. You trade in human flesh. Come, let me pay. There is still a bargain to be made. Dujol's face was twisting into a mask of rage. Devon continued to walk toward Dujol's, hands flexing. He ignored the dark giant apparently moving to intercept him as he approached the little martinet. But then I shall not have the pleasure of killing you both for making a fool of me, said Dujol's. Then his pistol darted up as if it had a life of its own. It spat loudly at Black. The ball took him in his chest just under his collarbone, and he dropped to one knee. In the instant it took him to register that he had been shot, Adam had reached Dujols. Capturing the little French man's head in two massive hands, Adam gave it a hard twist to the right. When he let go, Dujols dropped to the ground like a broken doll, eyes gyrating wildly and mouth moving without making a sound. Adam left Dujols and walked to Corwin while Black struggled to his feet. Adam collected Corwin from the cold ground, hefting her as if she weighed nothing at all. Senior Lucas looked toward the house. Well, now that this matter of honor is over, you will collect the money the pig took from me. He walked toward the open door of the house. Devon, hand pressed hard to the space just below his collarbone, turned to look at Adam, then made for the gate. Adam fell into step behind him, passing the the dying Dujols as if he were no more than garbage discarded in the street. Corwin dead to the world, lay limp in his arms. When she did wake on the long walk to the wharves, she saw Adam was carrying her and she began to struggle. He held her a little harder and looked down. He shook his head, warning her to be still. But his dark eyes did not seem angry. Corwin was so startled she could do nothing but let darkness take her again. Pirate's Desire by Andrea Stewart. Voice recording copyright 2020 by Nancy Fulton. All rights reserved. Music by Alexander Schweif licensed from Pond 5.